You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I am your host, Tony Lopes, and with me today is Kwame Christian. Hey, Kwame, how are you? Hey, doing well, Tony. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you back. I really appreciate you coming back on. You are our guest, of course, on episode 47. And you're the CEO, of course, of the American Negotiation Institute. And you're also the founder of the Negotiate Anything podcast. Always an honor to have you on the show. Obviously, we're recording this thing remotely using Zoom because locked inside because of COVID-19 still. <laughs> and uh, But we appreciate you coming on remotely and looking forward to discussing, first of all, how you've reshaped your business in the wake of being inside and not being able to do all of the live public speaking events that you normally would do, and the ways that you're using this as an opportunity to create some new business processes for yourself. You've been ramping up your podcast as well, so anxious to discuss that a little bit. And then we'll talk a lot about different negotiation strategies during this COVID-19 crisis, how you can use this to turn this into an opportunity rather than an actual crisis for your business and for yourself. So thanks again for joining us. Why don't you bring us up to speed on where you are with the American Negotiation Institute, how you've turned this into an opportunity to create some new business processes? Yeah, well, well, first, Tony, one of the things I always appreciate about being on this show is that it reminds me I need to make my music cooler for my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is a cool song. Thank you very much. But, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, so this is, it's, it's been a tough situation for everybody. Um, I'm, I, I have a no complaining rule that I put in place. It's been difficult <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to follow it. But I, I'm, I'm, like you said, I'm trying to look at this as an opportunity. Every situation provides us with opportunities if we're creative enough to see it. And um, like you said, my my business was really focused on going in person, getting on planes and traveling places to speak in front of people. Um, and at the time when I was doing this, I, I even took coaching off of the website and consulting and all of those things because I said, I don't even want to distract people. I just want them to focus on the speaking engagements because that is just a rock solid part of the business. What could ever go wrong with that? (laughs) (laughs) So we figured that out very quickly. And so um, obviously that it led everything to be canceled. Everything was canceled from March to July. Uh, And so we have to find new ways of generating revenue and having to try to find ways to, um, to stay relevant in, in the eyes of people. And um, I think about it in terms of positioning. What can I do to advance my position in the market? Uh, what can I do to advance my position with the relationships that I have? And so it just comes down to finding new and creative ways to add value to the people who, who you care about, your listeners, your audience, and, and, and reach new people. And so we created this virtual negotiation summit where we had over 600 people register for that. That was a lot of fun. Um, just people coming together, trying to solve problems and, and, and share ideas on how we can add negotiate more effectively and resolve conflict more effectively online. Um, I'm improving the, the quality of the podcast, doing more episodes, doing video and audio and, and creating more processes to create more content because the more content you create, the more people you can help. And so just trying to add value wherever I can 
And um, it's, it's actually been fun. The business side <laughs> has been fun. Um, <laughs> just getting back down to basics and, and improving the process. That's great. That's really great. And it, it's great to hear you focusing on one thing of the, one of the things that we've been talking about on this show is how you can control the controllables. And we've been trying to push that message forward as well. Not trying to be overly that, that person that's kind of browbeating people with optimism, but, but at the same time, trying to help people to focus on, look, yes, COVID-19 sucks. Yes, this is a crisis where we're stuck inside. We're fortunate if you're not sick, that at least you can use this time, hopefully productively towards something else. Um, obviously, a lot of people are getting sick, so there, there's not much of an upside there. But when we're looking at it in terms of the 30,000 foot view, bigger picture of everything, you have two options. You can sit at home in your couch wrapped in a, a comforter, you know, kind of rocking back and forth, driving yourself crazy, or you can use that time. And if you're fortunate enough to be in good health, use that extra time to put towards something productive that might be useful for your business. So what are some of the strategies that you've been advising people on in terms of negotiating like their business life depends on it so that they can survive the COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, this has been huge with the, the clients that I coach and um, a lot of the listeners too. With the Negotiate Anything podcast, mm -hmm. we've been trying to put on as, as much content as we can to help people through these, these times. And um, I think what we need to do is focus on the pain point that we have in our business. So what, what has changed? Um, where do we want it to be, right? Um, what are the most pressing issues that we have to face? And once we start to focus on those things, it, it helps us to get a little bit more creative with the problems that, that we can solve and how we solve those problems. Because what we find is that people are just feeling a general sense of overwhelm. Like where, where hurts everywhere. hurts. <laughs> well, like, like a good doctor, we have to get a little bit more specific. And I think that's really where it has to start when we come, when we're talking about using negotiation and conflict resolution as tools to improve our position in this situation. So we have to figure out what those pain points are, get really clear on those specific challenges. And then once we get that clarity, we identify people who are on the other side of that or around that who could we could bring in for assistance to help us through it. Oh, that's a great point. Some of what I've been talking about on webinars, and I, I wanted to get your feedback on this. This is why I'm bringing this up. I've been telling people that now is a great opportunity if you're going to be speaking to your stakeholders about the status of ongoing agreements, whether it's some form of vendor or client fulfillment agreement, or you're providing a product or service that you would normally be expecting some recurring revenue from, or even if you're just a landlord who has tenants as quote unquote clients, these are opportunities to fortify that relationship rather than bring up a point of mutual negativity. We're all going through this, right? Regardless of what stage your business is in, you're going through some form of uncertainty, some form of it hurts everywhere, some form of, as you put it, distress overall. But if you're more empathetic with those people and you say, look, this is an opportunity, first of all, to bring awareness to our current status of our agreement, right? Where was it before this? Now that the, the, uh, um, the refuse has hit the fan, so to speak, what can we do to improve this relationship going forward to put in, let's say, a force majeure, act of God clause or something in an agreement? And if we're doing that, 
is this an opportunity to take a better look at the deal overall and renegotiate at least some form of temporary reduction or something like that so that we can help each other stay afloat, right? And use this opportunity to be more collaborative rather than saying, oh, you owe me this money. I have a contract. If you don't, I'm going to sue you, et cetera, those kinds of things. So what do you think about that in general overall as an opportunity to renegotiate current status with a, a client or a stakeholder? And what's your advice in that situation? Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's necessary to renegotiate these types of deals. And I think what we need to do is start off with our our mindset around it because we need to do what's best for the company. And oftentimes that requires us to do things that are really unpleasant. And we had an agreement. We no, we currently have an agreement that is in existence <laughs> that you you agreed to sign your name on it, right? And so it feels a little bit icky at times, if you say, well, you know, I need to change things because you want to be seen as consistent and as somebody that you. And the thing is that that's going to be a, a reality for us when it comes to the way that we feel about the situation. There's going to be a bit of cognitive dissonance around this situation, which is going to feel unpleasant. And so the reason I bring this up is because I want people to recognize that this is natural. That is a natural feeling. And oftentimes we feel that. And then we say, because I feel this way, it is a signal that I should not take the action that I need in order to save my business. Um, but I just want you to recognize it's not a signal that you shouldn't take action. It's a signal that your brain is working the right way. <laughs> and you feel a little <laughs> bit of um, dis-ease with this situation. So I just want to under, help people to understand that psychological aspect. Next thing is, I want it to be as simple and systematic as possible when it comes to these difficult conversations, because um, obviously the conversations are hard enough as they are, but we go into the conversation and it feels, again, where we, we don't know where to start. We don't know what to say. Things start to go awry and we don't know what to do. And I think it's that, un, that, that lack of knowledge and lack of clarity that can be really difficult. And so the framework that I put as the foundation of all conflicts, negotiations, difficult conversations, whether it's at work or at home, is the compassionate curiosity framework. And so it's three easy steps. Number one get, uh, is going to be acknowledge and validate emotions. So we're saying it seems like or it sounds like, um, and then we state the emotion uh, that we see. And then we let them know that it's okay. That's the validation part. We're not saying that we agree with their conclusion, but we're saying, yeah, you're frustrated. I can, it seems as though you're frustrated. That makes sense, given the current circumstance. And you want to make it clear that you see that. Then you transition to the next step, which is getting curious with compassion. So this is where we're asking open-ended questions, but we're very mindful of the tone that we utilize when we're asking these questions. Because we don't want to trigger an emotional response. So we have to be mindful of the tone. That's why we put the word compassion there, just to help you remember that. And then the last step is joint problem solving. So after we work through the emotional uh, issue at the beginning by acknowledging and validating emotions. After we get curious with compassion and we gather information, then it's collaborative negotiation. We try to figure out a way for us to solve each other's problems through this process. But this framework helps people to recognize what they need to say at what time. If you see emotions, say it, <laughs> acknowledge it. Then get curious. Once you feel like you have the information, you can start joint problem solving. That's brilliant advice. Speaking to that end and kind of unpacking that a little bit more, when you mentioned the psychological aspect of renegotiating an agreement, 
What are some of the things that you're advising people on in terms of that psychology? Are, are you just bringing awareness mainly to the fact that, for instance, most of us think in terms of our own perspective and stop there? <laughs> we forget <laughs> that there's the perspective A of the other person, of the, the party B, the individual, right? Or the, the third perspective, which is the collective we perspective, right? To your point. So there's my perspective, there's your perspective, and then there's our perspective, which, which is its own perspective in a way, not to mention any additional stakeholders that might be represented in the agreement or in some fallout of the agreement. So when you're working people through, is that your main focus on perspectives? Or do you talk about some other psychological aspects or a combination of both? Yeah, it's a combination of both. And I think let's, let's take it uh, at to one at a time. So let's do perspectives first, then the psychology. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the perspectives, as it relates to everything in the negotiation, you have to prepare thoroughly for this. And like you said, it's not natural for us to think about others, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, we are naturally egocentric in our approach. And so um, I think it's important to go through this systematically. So that's why we have the free negotiation guides on our website. So mm -hmm. people go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide. They can get access to 15 free negotiation guides there. And so that'll help you to systematically prepare for the negotiation using strategy and tactics, of course. But also it helps you to empathize with the other person. We're asking questions like, what are their goals? What are their pain points? What do they think the problem is? What is the problem really? What, what is getting in their way? What are their barriers? And so we have to really systematize that process because again, it's not natural. So and with all of my clients, I walk them through that process and, and those guides are available for free on the website. Then when it comes to the psycho psychological side, it's going to be different for different people. And so when I'm coaching people, that's one of the things I do. I have to take some time and figure out what their personal barrier to success is in this situation and bring that to their attention. When it comes to emotional intelligence and psychological well-being in general, self-awareness is number one. If you know where you want to go, um, that doesn't really matter if you don't know where you currently are. <laughs> so one of the, my major jobs is to try to help people to recognize those barriers so they can say, oh, this is what I'm feeling. This is why I'm feeling it. And then when they feel that way during a conversation, they understand what it really means. Very interesting. Very interesting. So now let's talk about leadership of an organization that's going through this COVID-19 crisis. You talked a lot about communication being a part of the consulting and the help that you're offering people. So when you're dealing with someone who's leading an organization, what advice are you giving them on how they should be leading, persuading, and resolving any conflicts within their team while working remotely, no less? Yeah, I, I think it's we can approach it the exact same way. That's why I like the, the framework. Step one, acknowledge emotions, get curious with compassion, and then uh, joint problem solving. So it's going to be different emotions. Um, so what are the, the struggles of the people on your team? You want to start off acknowledging that because a lot of times if we just start off by telling people, Hey, this is what I need you to do. This is how things need to change. Those type of things. Um, they don't feel as though they, that you, you care about them. They don't feel hurt. And so that's an important part of the process. Even if let's say hypothetically, this is not true, but hypothetically, <laughs> if you knew everything that was happening in their mind, you could see it, you understood it, and you just want to skip acknowledging emotions and get and skip curiosity and then get to the, the solution stage. You can't do that because the person needs to 
feel heard. They need to feel understood. And it's not enough to hear and understand. You then need to prove it to the person so they feel that way. And then when they feel heard and understood, they're more likely to empathize in, in return. It's, it's reciprocity at work, but on an emotional level. And so regardless, we have to still go through the framework. And so we acknowledge the emotions. We get through that. Um, we also have to figure out what those barriers are for them. What, what is our goal? What barriers are you experiencing in reaching that goal? And that's where we get to the compassionate curiosity stage. We're asking questions. We're trying to figure out what their perspective is. And again, this is why it's so important to, to download the prep guides and go through a preparation process. Because one of the things that we have there is, the, is a, a section for questions that you can write out beforehand. Coming up with a really good open-ended question off the fly is tough to do, especially when you're under duress. And so don't leave it up to chance. Know what you want to ask so you can be a little bit more fluid in the conversation. And I think, again, we can apply this to leadership within companies and businesses in general. We want to figure out where we have some commonality. Where is the common? Because we usually focus on the small part of our relationship where there's conflict. But if you think about the relationship as a whole, there are going to be parts where we're, we agree. There are actually going to be parts where our, our interests are aligned. So even think about a contract where you're trying to renegotiate, you agreed to that contract because it worked for you. They agreed to it for the exact same reason. And so ultimately the goal is the same. We just need to figure out a different path because there's a detour that we need to take. Same thing within our company. We need to figure out what the ultimate goal is and then how we can co-create a, a path forward toward that goal together. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, let me ask you this. Just hearing you talk, I hear you, you speaking a lot about mindfulness, uh, self-awareness, compassion. One, do you meditate? Is that where th some of that comes from for you? Or where does that come from? Where did you pick that up as part of your practice? Rare for a lawyer is why I'm asking. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I, I, I used to get that a lot when I was mediating a lot. Um, they're, they're like, oh, you're a lawyer? That's kind of weird. I said, oh, <laughs> my degree's in psychology. Oh, that makes sense. There it is. Yeah. So, so my undergrad degrees in psychology, I wanted to be a therapist. Um, and then uh, I got off the path and became a lawyer, <laughs> but it, it really helps a lot when it comes to persuading people effectively, because um, I, I don't just use tactics because books told me that they work. I understand the underlying foundation psychologically, and I know what I need to do to move people in what direction. And that's, that's really, really helpful. Um, before uh, the uh, pandemic, I would meditate twice a day. Um, after, during the pandemic, I made the excuse and said, I don't have time, but I'm glad you asked me this <laughs> question because I need to start meditating again because sometimes I just need to calm down <laughs> and relax. Um, but, um, but yeah, when I did notice though, I did want notice that once when I was meditating, I was a lot calmer in the moment and a lot more mindful. And I would pair that with a gratitude type of uh, ritual. So I had a gratitude journal. I would write three things that I'm grateful for. Um, and then I would do my meditation. And they say you should try to meditate for 20 minutes a day. I could not stomach that. And so um, one thing I'm learning in general and as it relates to this, this pandemic is that if you're really struggling to create a habit or, or move forward in any direction, one of the problems might be that you are holding yourself to a standard that is unrealistically high. And for me, some, as somebody who's very competitive, it's hard for me to say, okay, that really, really, really high level goal that you set for yourself, 
you need to tone that down. But what I found is that that really helps because you start to generate some positive momentum. So when I would meditate, it was just a, um, I would call it a three breath meditation. So I would take three deep breaths and just progressively relax. And then the next phase would take, would be me focusing on the thing that made me happiest in the last 24 hours. I'll do this in the morning and in the evening. And then I would just try to envision that and then take three deep breaths on that. And then um, try to take three deep breaths, imagining that, like that happiness, that feeling just absorbing within. So it, just to create, uh, it's, it's more targeted towards happiness uh, with my meditation. And all together with the gratitude journal and the meditation process, that would probably take five, seven minutes or so. But that's something that I could, I could justify to myself. Even the busy liar in my head saying, Kwame, you don't have time. I have seven minutes. I could do it. Um, so that, that's what's worked for me. Now, for your process, do you use an app to kind of guide you through it? Do you prefer just a quiet space on your own? Do you put on some music? Do you listen to binaural beats or something along those lines? What's your meditation process, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah. Oh, no, I love this. I, I've tried it all, really. I, um, I had the Headspace app. And that's, mm-hmm. that really helped with getting started. I mean, it's fantastic. And I think one of the things that really helped me in that, and I, I actually mentioned this in the book too, is that um, they kind of adjusted my perspective on success in a meditation. They, because in my mind, I was saying, okay, I need to vacate my mind and I can't think of anything. And then two seconds later, I'm thinking about something like, well, I'm here a failure. You can't do anything right. You can't even do nothing right. <laughs> so um, in, in the introduction, he, he says, listen, your mind will wander, but you just need to work on refocusing on your breath or whatever it happens to be. So for people starting out, um, Headspace app, and there are a ton of other apps out there, mm-hmm. really, really helpful. And then I started to do a lot more reading on uh, mindfulness um, and meditation and interesting neuro neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. This is the brain's ability to change and, and actually physically change based on what you're doing. And um, after reading those books and, and um, doing that research, I figured that the biggest reason I'm doing this is for happiness. That's, that's, that's what everybody's going for. So if I can blend the gratitude, blend the neuroplasticity and the meditation and really focus that time on happiness, then it could actually change the shape of your brain to have more pathways that are conducive to happy thoughts. And um, it'll make it easier for you to get to that mindset, that, that mind frame during the day, just on the, you know, as the day goes by. So I think what's important for me and just for everybody is to figure out a way to make it your own. Um, If you think about anything, sports, for instance, um, Oh, Michael Jordan documentaries out. Let's talk about that. Um, so like Michael Jordan has a really great jump shot. Uh, LeBron James has a great jump shot. Steph Curry, great jump shot. Larry Bird, fantastic. But they're, it's all different. You know, the fundamental principles are the, are the same, but each has their own flair and style to it. And I think for me, one of the things that was difficult with meditation and, and for me to adopt it as a, a lifestyle practice is that people kept on saying, you have to do it this way but it wasn't working for me <laughs> and it only started to work. And the habit really took shape once I was able to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do this my own. And then that it, it stuck. That's really smart. And, and you're right. You're hitting the nail on the head. And I know we're going off on a tangent talking about mindfulness here a little bit, but um, it, it's related. It's related to negotiation. Absolutely. So uh, 
I agree with you. I mean, I think we both to some degree just we we barely know each other, but we know each other, I think, well enough already to know we both suffer from ADHD in some form. And uh, (laughs) and and I think for us, uh, for instance, uh, I'll share. I know some people uh, that meditate. I won't say who they are just to kind of protect the innocent. Um, They they prefer really long meditations. And, And like you were saying, 20 minutes is like a killer to sit down for us to do 20 minutes. I try to find ways to do two things at once. <laughs> so to do nothing for 20 minutes is like, you know, it's doubly bad. Um, so th- the interesting thing is you really do need to, in some ways, I-, I think you're hitting the nail on the head in the context that a headspace is a really good introduction because they have those nice animated videos. They introduce you to the process really, really well and kind of demystify the whole meditation process as a whole. They kind of take away the abstraction, I guess. But once you've gone through that, for me, I remember I I actually at some point was doing Headspace as well. And I think I got to day five in a row or six in a row. And it's 10 minutes every day, right? The first 10 days or 10 minutes every day. And I was just like slogging through these 10 minutes. And it was unbearable torture almost. but now I can I, I found a new process for myself like you, and I can sit for 18, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever, and, and kind of get through it. And sometimes I need to change it up just because I need some variety or else my brain is just like, you know, it's getting ahead of itself and then starts to think all these other crazy thoughts, you know, <laughs> like uh, I need to buy dog food on Amazon in the middle of a, of a meditation. It's like, what is going on? Stop thinking. And you can't do it. Right. It's like don't think of a pink elephant. All you think about is pink elephant, right? Um, So yeah, thank you for sharing that. I I think that is useful, though, to the people that are listening. And related to negotiations, as you're doing mindfulness, a lot of times what you're doing is just kind of bringing awareness to the present moment, which in the context of a negotiation is essentially expanding those little increments of space between a thought and a reaction, right? So you're in a negotiation, Somebody might say something that you don't really like, and hopefully through mindfulness, you'll be able to increase that space, take a minute to take three deep breaths or something and uh, and prevent yourself from knee jerk reacting to cause a problem or or escalate the conflict even further. Right. Have you have you found that that that's how mindfulness is used in, in negotiations and what other ways do you think mindfulness applies to negotiation? Yeah, it, it helps me to be more grounded. And so when when difficult situations arise in, in these conversations, which they will and probably should, if you're talking about things right. that matter, right. um, you need to be grounded and you need to be able to respond, not react. So you receive new sim- stimuli, does something, somebody does something. OK, let me slow things down. Let me process that. OK, great. How am I feeling about this? And then also one of the things that is really important um, in decision-making, again, when it comes to negotiation, we always talk so much about the persuasive aspect mm-hmm. that we don't think about the decision-making aspect. If we're not making good decisions after the, this great conversation, what is the point of <laughs> this entire interaction? And so one of the things I talk about all the time in the course, in the book, and, and whatever is is the fact that we need to be able to start to distinguish between emotional thoughts and rational thoughts. Uh, they, they are not the same, but in the moment they can feel the same. 
well, I think this as their volume escalates. Do you really think this or do you feel that? Right. Um, and, and so it's important to recognize that this that difference because we there are times when we, we need to slow down. So not all parts of the conversation are created equal. There are going to be certain points, parts of the conversation where, that are more important than others. And so we need to be able to recognize those, slow down at those times to make sure we're making the right decision. And, um, and also sometimes recognizing that given our state, we probably shouldn't be making any decisions at this moment. Right. If, if you can put off making a decision to tomorrow, as long as you're not starting to borderline on, on procrastination, then, then sleep on it, gather the information and, and then make a decision. But I think um, the ability to slow down and, and see the situation more clearly in terms of the input I'm receiving and the, the process that's going on beneath the surface within myself, it's incredibly helpful. That's great advice and a, and a great point. And I think you're hitting the nail right on the head in terms of how to use mindfulness. So going back though now to working remotely into this transition for leaders, how can you use negotiations? This is one that's particularly near and dear to my heart because I dealt a lot with this when I was working for other people. How do you use negotiations to deal with a micromanager? Because especially now, when people are forced to work remotely, I would imagine there are micromanager minds being blown everywhere. Their heads are just exploding everywhere because they can't sit there and hover over your shoulder to see what you're doing every second of the day. So how do you, how do you deal with a micromanager using negotiation techniques to adjust your role and responsibilities and continue to advance your career? despite their struggle to deal with the current situation. Right. And I think it's important to recognize where the, the micromanaging behavior comes from. Again, this is a great example of uh, where we could use the framework. So acknowledge the emotion. Listen, Tony, I know this is a difficult situation for you. Um, usually we're right beside each other. It's easier for us to communicate and everything, but we're further away. So I know that this has got to be a little bit frustrating for you. and. Uh, and feeling of you're probably feeling a little bit of a lack of control over the environment. Acknowledge that emotion. Yeah, that makes sense. And then validate it. Let them know it makes sense. You understand that. And so they feel once they feel that you understand them, they're going to feel a lot more comfortable with you. And so think about the halo effect. So the halo effect is where you think positively about a person in one area of their life. And as a result, you it extrapolates to other areas of their life. Think about um Bill Cosby situation. It took a lot of people a long time to figure out, to come to terms with the fact that he was a, a closet monster. But people are like, Bill Cosby, but he's so funny. Right. We, we don't know anything else about him, <laughs> but the halo effect expanded. And so bringing it back to this, it's like, oh, you know, Kwame, he took the time to understand me. Yeah. He's a, he's a smart guy. He knows what's going on. And if, you, if they feel like I know what's going on, they're going to trust me a little bit more when it comes to the, the responsibilities that they give. So acknowledging the emotion in, in this situation is going to pay dividends in, in multiple ways. Then transition to compassionate curiosity, asking questions, figure out what their ultimate goal is. Has that changed? What are their expectations? Those expectations have definitely changed. So how have they changed? What do you expect from me? How do you want me to communicate with you? Because in the past, you just let me go. Because you could just walk past my office and see what's up. Mm -hmm. But now you're, you're texting me and emailing me every three hours. That's annoying. It makes it harder for me to work. <laughs> and so what, how do you expect me to communicate? 
then we can negotiate the way that we communicate. Say, listen, I understand you're trying to touch base all this time. It actually interferes with the way that I'm working. Would it be okay shifting to joint problem solving? If we said, let's touch base every morning, we could do a quick five, 10 minute call. Um, I could send you an email every day, or maybe it's a weekly thing. But regardless, those are things that are up for discussion. But it's going to be much more difficult to have that discussion if the person doesn't feel seen, understood, respected through the process. So that's why it's so important to follow that framework. That's brilliant. And I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of being really sensitive to where they are emotionally, especially because I would imagine they're just suffering from a severe amygdala hijack when they're having the situation where they're normally like you hit the nail on the head. It's the whole thing about them just being able to walk by your office. Oh, they're in there. I feel so much better. Like I'm micromanaging them. (laughs) Really, they could be on Facebook. They could be watching a movie. You would never know the difference. But it's just the fact that their physical, you know, flesh and blood human presence is in the office somehow makes them feel warm and cozy. So (laughs) can you tell that there's a hint of (laughs) of my own issues with this? so when, when you're dealing with this, though, I heard you mention acknowledging, of course, the emotions, and you've talked a lot about that. And you talked about the perspective of saying, for example, you know, I imagine that you're having a really tough time with this. You normally can just walk right over and talk to me in the office. And I think that's a great strategy. But I just wanted to get your input on the difference between that and phrasing it in more of a um, question and their perspective focused way, just from a a verbal construction way, do you think that there's a difference between, for example, me saying, Kwame, I know you must be going through a really hard time right now dealing with this. You normally like to just pop into my office and we can have a quick discussion. And right now we're having a lot of issues with the dealing with the technology and issues with companies that are, I'm not going to name any, that are promoting the the use of video for, for collaboration. And we can't communicate quite as effectively. So what's the best way to communicate with you versus Kwame, how do you feel about our current state? And what do you think we should do to improve our communications? Basically, what I'm doing here is I'm taking the I perspective out of the the verbiage that I'm using so that I'm completely focused on the other person. Because, you know, we talked about how as humans, we're just naturally egocentric to some degree, whether it's ethnocentricity, egocentricity, it's different levels of of consciousness and perspective, but it's always focused around some version of the I, at least, at least initially, as people are kind of evolving their, their thought process to, to include other perspectives. So do you think that that's an effective way to, to sort of supercharge that discussion? Or do you think it's better to take the relative, relative approach, for lack of a better term. In other words, I feel what you're feeling. I understand what you're feeling. Which way is more empathetic in your view and which way is more effective? It's a great question. And um, I, I think this, this demonstrates why it's so important to prepare <laughs> beforehand, <laughs> because in, in the moment you're going to say, oh, did I say I too many times? Should I? Re-? And so it's going to take your, your eyes off the prize. You're going to be focused on the wrong thing. And so, yeah, I think really biggest thing, the biggest thing is going to be tone. Um, even more so than the words of the tone. Um, and because people are going to read a certain level of under, uh, of understanding from the tone. So you could be saying the, the exact perfect thing, 
but if you say it the wrong way, then it, it doesn't matter at all. Um, and so I, the way that I think about it really is I would just say it seems as though it, it or it sounds like seems like it sounds like those are the, the that's the formulation that I like to go. Just it's super simple. Um, and then give them space to talk. Silence is a really, really powerful tool. And my goal in these conversations is to keep the breakdown of conversation 70, 30, where I'm only speaking 30% of the time. And so maybe at the beginning of the conversation, maybe all I say is, it seems as though this is probably a, a pretty tough situation for you since you don't have access to us like you usually do. Silence. <laughs> and they'll fill in the gap right there. Then we, then we listen and we hear what they're saying and then we summarize it and, and repeat it back to them. Not parroting it, but you're saying, yeah, it makes sense because insert what they said there. And so now they're feeling validated and, and heard. And so really, the, the less you say, the better <laughs> in this situation, the less, the less opportunity you have to make a mistake and the more space you give them to respond to, to what you're saying. Interesting. And speaking of commu effective communication and listening more, let's talk about resolving conflicts with friends and family during COVID-19 because we are locked in close quarters and it can be very, very difficult to deal with what I think, and we talked about this briefly before we hit the record button. What I think is that people are all on the same roller coaster. They just got onto the ride at different times. So some of us are really up one day. And then, of course, all of us are going through ups and downs. Some of us are really down on that same day that our partner may be totally up and then vice versa. There's a lot of that yin yang friction going on in everyone's household. So what is you know, what are your best practices to maintain the calm at home and kind of remind people that we're all in this together? And how has your home situation been going during all of this? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is the, 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 the biggest test of my skill. <laughs> my goodness. But the, the thing is, I, I, my, my wife is awesome. She's been fantastic. And uh, my son is awesome, too. So thank goodness for that. But I, I think the biggest thing is keeping this sentence in mind. Setting boundaries is an act of love. And so when it comes to setting boundaries, we always think about it from our perspective, but the other person wants to have a relationship with us. They want to have a positive relationship with us. They can't do that if we're not clear about our boundaries. And so the thing is, I can't just tell myself in a lot of situations, hey, Kwame, get over that. Oh, that's an emotional need you have. How about you just do without that? Like, hey, you, you like oxygen, Tony? Well, we'll try, try to stop. <laughs> right? We have to come to terms with what it is that we need. And I didn't realize this before, but I, I need space because I had space. And I think a lot of the things that we took for granted are, are now being made, it's being made apparent to us how just how important those things are to us. And so I need space <laughs> a lot of times. And so I need to articulate that very clearly and let people know. I think that's the first thing we need to, again, self-awareness always starts with self-awareness, figure out what it is that we need, specifically what it is that we need. You can't just say, I need space. Okay. That's a start. How much space, what kind of space is, is me giving you 30 minutes? Is that space? Uh, is you, if you go into a different room, is that space for different people? It means different things. And so get really clear on that. And so for me, I say, okay, I just need at least on the weekends. Can you give me just two hours in the middle of the day 
where I can take a nap, watch Netflix, not think at all, play some chess and just not be bothered at all. Can you give me two those that time? Great. I'll give you the, the rest of the day. The rest of the day can be daddy time and family time. I'm cool with that, but I just need that time. Oh, okay. Well, that's clear, right? Otherwise, you're going to try to, maybe it's out of a, a noble cause. Maybe you're trying to be self-sacrificial and say, my family needs me. They need me 24-7. But then you're burning out. And then they ask you, hey, um, are you done with your pancakes? And you lose your mind. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and so it's important to set those boundaries, recognize what it is you need, and then have those negotiations, those conversations to give you that space. Because um, I had a guest on my show. Her name is Laura Heck. She has a great podcast too. Um, she's a relationship therapist, and she described it as a pressure cooker. And the pressure just keeps going up and up and up. And pressure cookers are great for cooking food. Um, some people use them as bombs as well. <laughs> and, and so you need to be able to figure out ways to let some steam out just so you can release the pressure so you can respond effectively. Because a lot of times when you're under pressure, you're going to react and you're going to cause damage, damage to yourself, damage to the person, damage to the relationship as a whole. Right. Yeah, that's great advice. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, humans are very dynamic, right? That We are basically as individual as there are many of us different combinations, different thought processes, different perspectives. And just on the mere level of an extrovert and an introvert living together, for example, my own situation, um, <laughs> it can be very difficult because, you know, for an extrovert, for example, you thrive on being around other people and you get energized by being in, in maybe a, a very energetic room. So being locked in a house for two months straight, might drive you a little crazy, right? And, and would really sap your energy and, and you can be in, in highs and lows very frequently. And for an introvert, the opposite is true. To your point, they, they really seem to enjoy just time alone and, and introspection and, and being very internally focused. And so just having those dynamics and thinking about, you know, just being aware as which is basically the overall concept, I think, of this discussion in general, right? Just be aware. Um, just being aware and trying not to, to judge, trying not to be judgmental and saying to yourself, you know, what is my partner or spouse or, or the people that I live with in general, children, roommates, whatever the situation is, what are their needs, to your point, and what are the types of individuals, without labeling so much, but but more so in the context of what do they like? What are they energized by? What do they really like going to parties a lot or, or hosting people? Maybe if they don't, then I need to give them a little extra space because they're going through their own stress and, and, and uh, um, you know, version of potential psychosis because of all of this. Uh, so, you know, just being sensitive to all of those things, I think you're right, it is a great relationship builder in general. Um, but now let's look at how to deal with the remoteness of negotiating something online. For example, you know, you might be selling a business or, or trying to, some people are buying homes right now, right? Using remote connectivity with their real estate agent and doing virtual tours of homes and those kinds of things. So how can you leverage technology to be successful in online negotiations? And then we'll talk a little bit about the strategies and tactics that you can use to get the best deal, even when you can't meet face to face. 
Right. And again, I think it, it has to start again. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but it with self-awareness too. We have to recognize what our particular strengths and weaknesses are. Because for instance, you and I, we use um, video conference all the time. So we're mm-hmm. really comfortable with it. But somebody who's not comfortable with this technology probably shouldn't use that for the first time on a major negotiation. You're just not going to be comfortable. And you're, going to be, you're not going to be focused on the right thing. You're going to say, is that, is that what I look like on camera? Is, <laughs> how do I control these things? All that stuff. It's going to be distracting. And you're going to be off your game. So that's the first thing. Recognize your strength. What, which platforms are you comfortable with? Um, Email is going to be a part part of every single, uh, you know, interaction that we have, whether we want to or not. It's it's an unavoidable technology, so we have to figure out what how best to use it. I like to use it as a setup technique. Um, oof, setup sounded aggressive. Um, like uh, <laughs> introduction. <laughs> no, no judgment here. No judgment. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I say, okay. So what are we going to talk about? I'll use the email as an opportunity to frame the conversation and set an agenda. Um, I'm not going to try to have deep, substantive conversations via email because tone can be lost in translation. Especially if I start to pick up on any type of emotionality, negative emotionality in the email, my next email is to try to transition them to a more personal mode of communication. If if they're comfortable with it, I'd love to do Zoom because now you can see my body language to see what I'm saying is not is non-threatening. It helps to build rapport. It's the closest thing we have. Uh, to interpersonal, uh, like in-person interaction. If I can't get video conference, then I'm going to do a regular phone call. Um, And then you have to determine whether or not text plays a role in that. Because sometimes text can be used as a a good strategy to just have social types of connections without going too deep into the substance. So maybe a quick text saying, hey, it was great chatting with you. Hope you have a great weekend. I, I like to use text um, when I'm talking to clients and potential clients, because when you are texting somebody, most of the time you're not texting enemies, you're texting friends. And so if I just have some light conversation that's not at all related to what we're talking about, that helps to build the relationship. For instance, I have a, a client who's a, um, he went to Penn State. And uh, obviously through this shirt, you see Ohio State, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we, we send each other texts about that. And um, then we have our more business-oriented conversations via email and over the phone. Um, but again, texts can be abused if, if, you, if you're dealing with the wrong person or sometimes you don't really understand the, the line. So I think it's, it should be used sparingly. And so really when it comes to determining the right platform at the right time, it needs to be incorporated within an overall negotiation strategy. So it's not just haphazard from saying, okay, whatever. I'm just responding or reacting. Oh, you want to do a call? Sure. You know, I'm, I need to think about that. What is my goal in overall? And what is my goal in this particular conversation? Then determine which platform would be best to, to meet those needs. And um, depending on the timing of this episode, um, the, I should have a handbook that's done on um, virtual negotiation and conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. So if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash virtual, you should be able to get access to that guide. And it's a really, really robust handbook that was made in conjunction with the universities we partnered with and all the people who are in the uh, summit um, coming together and sharing their best ideas for virtual negotiation. So we'll have uh, that, that resource there so people can talk about best practices and, and see which platform could be the best for their given. Awesome. And when do you expect to have that more or less live? 
Um, that should be live um, next week. So next week for the listeners is the last week of May. Right. Okay. Awesome. Cool. So we'll keep a lookout for that in the last week of May 2020. Or if you're listening to this later than that, then certainly you can jump on over to Kwame's website and pick that up. And and thank you so much for A, all of the advice, everything you've been doing, lots of positive content. I personally follow you on social media and LinkedIn. So I've loved seeing the interactions with your son as well. And, and some of the really interesting things. One of the things I saw was uh, jelly on a hot dog, if I'm not mistaken. Oh my goodness. That was, <laughs> I, I said, I, I'd failed. I'd failed. You know what was really interesting though, Tony, the weirdest part about that. So many people responded back and said, yeah, jelly on the hot dog is the bomb. I'm like, who are these people? What is, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Oh, man, that's great. Yeah. Hey, listen, you're talking to a guy that puts uh, I might be ostracizing myself here in the Philly community soon, but I put uh, spicy mustard on my cheesesteaks. And usually that throws people off a little bit. But I particularly love mustard. I love ketchup as well, but but love mustard. So I put spicy mustard on my cheesesteaks. And that usually makes people look at me very strangely. Like, (laughs) what are you doing to your cheesesteak? But it tastes delicious. Right. You might be losing clients, Tony. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> I'll have to move now. Now that I've uh, I've outed myself and my cheesesteak habits, that's that's a, that can be a killer here locally for sure. So awesome. Well, Kwame, thank you so much. If people want to reach out to you, if they're looking for negotiation advice, or they need help, or they just want to talk, uh, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, LinkedIn is the best way. I'm really active on LinkedIn. Everybody who reaches out gets a, a message from me. As I will keep that going as long as I can. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just love connecting with people on LinkedIn. And of course, I'm assuming that your podcast listeners are listeners of podcasts. Yep. So check out my podcast, Negotiate Anything, Top Rank Negotiation. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you again so much. And that's Kwame Christian. If you want to look them, look him up on LinkedIn, that's K-W-A-M-E Christian. And you should be able to find Kwame pretty easily. Thanks again, Kwame. That's really right. appreciate your time and I uh, hope you stay safe and healthy. Looking forward to, to connecting with you again once we're released into the wild. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was fun. Awesome. Thanks again, man. <laughs>